Um, but welcome everybody. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us this Come evening. On. My name's Roger Savage. I'm a development officer at SAVS and we're supporting the, the governors from the Mid and South Essex NHS Foundation Trust this evening with this information session that I hope you will find useful. Um, in terms of the structure, um, I'm going to pass over to Sally in a moment, who's going to lead some presentations on the current um, situation at the hospital, how they've been coping during the COVID pandemic. And then we'll also hear a bit more about the governor's role. And then we're going to move into a kind of question and answer slash conversation style for the second half of the meeting, where we'd welcome anyone to ask questions or to share their experiences maybe of the hospital or to you know, pass on any comments or messages that, that you'd like to be heard. Um, just some housekeeping. So we are recording this session this evening so that we can share an audio version of the meeting after for those that can join us. For those that are listening afterwards, today's date is the 11th of February and all information shared is accurate at the time of recording. For those that haven't used Zoom before, um, there's an option at the top right hand corner of your screen to change the view. So you can either have a gallery view where you see everybody on the screen, or you can have a speaker view where just the person that's speaking will appear nice and big for you on your screen. So you can switch that throughout the session. When we get to the part where we ask for your questions and inputs, you can either use the chat function, which is a button at the bottom of your screen where you can type in your questions and we'll come to you when we can or you can also raise your hand, your virtual hand in the participant area. There's a button in there. Or equally, if you give me a wave, I'll do my best to spot everyone and come to you when we can. If we can ask everyone to stay on mute, if you're not speaking, that just helps everything become a bit clearer and understandable. And I think that's everything from my side. So if you're okay, Sally, I'll hand over to you to handle the first part of the session. Thanks, Roger. Um, and first off, um, can I just say a big thank you to Roger um, and the people at SAS for hosting this meeting this evening. Um, I'm Sally Holland and I was elected to the lead governor position uh, in December. Um, and this is our first foray as um, governors of the new trust into the community. So please do bear with us. Um, I'm sure we will do our utmost to answer any questions you may have, but there'll probably be lots of things you ask us that we don't have the answers to, but we will come back to you um, with, with the answers uh, later on where we can't answer what we have to say. Um, it, for those of you who are aware of the trust, the trust only came into be, being um, on the 1st of April, what a day, um, 2020. And of course, it's like the perfect storm because the pandemic has hit. So even though we are a new trust um, and we were new governors, we were elected um, towards the end of September. Uh, we have not come together face to face with each other. So we don't really know each other um, particularly well, unless you're legacy governors. Um, and we meet as we are meeting today on, on Zooms and other video platforms. So it's quite a, a strange way uh, to be working. Um, but I'm sure all of you who are um, working uh, full-time through this pandemic are all adopting new ways of working as well. Um, I'm going to hand you over first of all to Tom Abel who is the Deputy 
uh, Chief Executive of the, the Trust, and he's going to give you an update on how the hospital ha um, has been coping and is coping um, with the pandemic. And as you know, um, we've just been through uh, the eye of another storm in these past few weeks. So I would like to publicly again thank all the staff that have even been involved at the hospital, no matter what job they do, um, for doing their utmost to keep most of us well um, and safe. Um, and they're doing a fantastic job. And I don't know how they keep going because this is coming up to a year now um, and it's just relentless. So a big thank you to all our staff at Mid and South Essex um, uh, Trust. Um, Tom will come in first and then Lawrence Collins, who is um, a seasoned governor, he will then tell you all about what it is like to be a governor, how you can become a governor, um, and more importantly, how you can all become members of the Trust. So that's me done until the end and I'm going to hand over to Tom now. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Um, Roger, there were some slides. I don't know if you've got them or not, um, but I'm happy to just talk if that's easiest for everybody. And then if there's anything to refer to, we can do that later. Yeah, if, if that's OK, Tom, then I'll share this uh, slides out following on from the meeting. Yeah, no, that's 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 fine. It's only my NHS computer is not a massive fan of Zoom. And so I just know as soon as I try and share my screen, everything will crash horribly. So, um, uh, so just to echo what Sally said in terms of a big thank you for inviting us and um, making the time to, to listen to us today. Um, as Sally said, um, I'm Deputy Chief Executive of Mid and South Essex Interest Foundation Trust and that's the organisation that runs um, all of the hospital services across Mid and South Essex, so not just South End, but also all the services out of Broomfield Hospital and Basildon Hospital uh, as well. And what I was planning on talking a bit about today was Firstly, a bit about COVID, so you know what's been going on, particularly in this um, second wave that we are fortunately coming out to the back of. Now, um, some of the things that we're doing to support our staff, and so you can um, uh, uh, hear a little bit about that. And then also some of the things that we're doing to try and keep patients who haven't got COVID safe. And so hopefully, Bev, I'll try and answer your question that you've, you've popped in as, as we work our way through. So um, in, in terms of COVID, um, uh, the Trust and Mid and South Essex uh, was an area of really high COVID prevalence um, in the run-up and just following Christmas that you, you no doubt saw in the news and, and probably experienced with friends and family. Um, and at the peak of that, um, during January, we, uh, hit, we hit around about 700 COVID positive patients in our hospitals. And, and to put that in context, um, within any one of our hospitals uh, during wave one, we were at around about 350, so about double the number of uh, COVID positive inpatients that we were caring for at any given point in time. And a really big pressure on our critical care facilities. And so normally in, in normal non-COVID times, we had around about 40 critical care beds that we were operating across the trust um, at, any, uh, at any point in time to care for the sickest patients. At the peak in January, we were running at just under 200 patients who were in critical care and being supported through critical care. So it's, it's obviously been a really significant strain on us as an organisation and we've had to do a lot in terms of uh, the redeployment and retraining of staff and in order to be able to support critical care and support um, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the the care for our patients. Um, 
uh, but also the the psychological kind of impact that that has on on staff who aren't used to working in those sort of very intense environments um, that that we've ex we experienced during January, um, and also really kind of quite kind of um, uh, kind of a, we, we passed another milestone actually today. We were talking about it. I was talking about it earlier today, and in, in across. The entire pandemic, we've seen over 2,300 people die in our hospitals as a result of COVID, and so that also has a, has had a really big impact on our on our staff and our, our people in terms of um, the, the the just the magnitude of loss in, 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 that we've seen, uh, which is obviously very very sad. So. Um, as a result of that, we're putting a lot of energy and a lot of work into how do we um, care for our staff and make sure that they're appropriately supported. And so uh, we've put in place a number of measures. And so some of those are kind of very basic measures and in, uh, in terms of we've been very lucky to have really great support from our community. And so being able to provide kind of food and refreshments and some real basic things. And so staff who might not be able to get on the break their breaks and things like that can kind of get some sustenance and be looked after in their work environment. And we've introduced this sliding scale of support for staff. Uh, um, so looking at, we've put in place psychologists um, and counseling services to support staff who've um, been, you know, very seriously affected and, and some indeed suffering from PTSD and conditions like that that we want to try and look after them with and to get them back up and uh, running as soon as we can. So a um, huge, huge range of support that we're putting in, in, in for our staff and to, to make sure that their mental and physical well-being is being looked after throughout this period of time. Um, one of the things which I think has really helped is we're really fortunate as a trust to be in the vanguard of those hospitals which were able to provide the COVID vaccination. Um, so not only to our most vulnerable in society, but also to our health and care workers uh, across Mid and South Essex. And so I'm really pleased we've delivered over 34,000 doses of vaccine so far um, across our vaccination centres in Mid and South Essex. And uh, we're continuing to vaccinate 12 days a week. Uh, sorry, not 12 days a week. It feels like 12 days a week sometimes. 12 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, to be able to to get make sure as many people as possible have the opportunity to to have the vaccine. And around about 95% of our staff have now um, had their first dose of COVID vaccine. We're now just about to start uh, giving second doses of, of the vaccine over the coming weeks. Uh, so that has been some light at the end of the tunnel and um, something that um, uh, I think is given people psychological as well as obviously um, physical security working. As we've come out of COVID, um, we've obviously turned our mind to what do we do for all of those people who don't have COVID who've been affected um, uh, or their care has been affected as a result of COVID. So we know that we are dealing with um, some very long waiting times for patients um, and also we know that not everybody who probably should have accessed our services has managed to access our services either as a result of not choosing to come to hospital or as choosing to um, delay getting advice from their GP or from their consultants and so we're putting in place a range of measures to try and alleviate some of that pressure so the first of those is um, as part of 
um, are infection control procedures. Um, anybody who's been to A&E um, in the past year will now know, know that we have very um, physically separated um, A&E departments. And so um, if you're coming into hospital with suspected COVID, um, you will go down a COVID pathway. If you're if you're coming in for another reason, you'll go down a non-COVID pathway so we can physically maintain the space. Uh, and within the hospitals themselves, the way that we've now configured all of our wards is that we will have COVID zones and non-COVID zones to try and minimise the risk of um, anybody who doesn't have COVID coming into hospital from um, picking up uh, COVID as a, as a result of being admitted. We also make sure that we split the way that our staff work and so staff will generally only work on a COVID ward or a non-COVID ward in order to prevent um, the risk of um, staff to patient transmission which obviously is also uh, a risk. Um, we're also doing a lot more testing, I think, than we did in the first wave, um, uh, mainly because the technology and the ability to test has, 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 has um, come, come into being now. And so all our staff are able to uh, have uh, the opportunity to have twice weekly lateral flow tests. And so if anybody's gone and had one of the community walk-in tests where you get the result really fast, all our staff are doing that twice a week um, to help pick up any risk of that um, and also all of our patients are routinely tested um, for COVID when they're in hospital so because um, uh, clearly there's there's a, there's a risk of asymptomatic admission so somebody coming into hospital for something which isn't related to COVID but actually also asymptomatically having COVID and so we do a lot of testing to make sure we pick that up as soon as we can um, and to make sure that we keep everybody as safe as we can as part of that process. So all of those things are going into uh, coming into place um, or are in place at this moment in time. We are now restarting as much clinically urgent work as we can. Um, uh, we aim to be able to get more clinically urgent uh, patients routinely seen in the next uh, two to three weeks. Um, the, the major limiting factor for that is actually um, our critical care. And the reason for that is even if you don't need critical care, the staff that we use in critical care to help surge our numbers are our anaesthetists because they're appropriately trained and able to do the airway management and to use um, the equipment that we use in critical care. But obviously we also need uh, anaesthetists to uh, be able to anaesthetise people in theatre. So um, uh, as our critical care numbers are coming down, we're able to release, start to release our anaesthetists to be able to um, get them working um, back in theatres, which means that we'll be able to restart all of our clinically urgent procedures. Um, so that we think is going to take another two to three weeks until we can start routinely uh, staying completely on top of all of that. Needless to say, anybody with suspected cancer, um, we have prioritised and we are continuing to treat anybody with suspected cancer um, as fast as we can. And we've done that throughout the peak of the wave. So we did not stop cancer treatment um, uh, at any point um, over the course of the last year or so. Um, uh, the other thing that we're doing is we are looking at our outpatient work and outpatient activity and looking at how we might be able to do that differently. Um, so um, uh, anybody who's been referred to outpatients uh, may well have had a virtual or telephone consultation appointment um, with our consultant. So you'll be seen by the same clinician, uh, but you might be seen virtually. Um, we've also taken some steps to try and um, 
minimise footfall onto the hospital site. And so you, some of you who may have historically gone to South End Hospital for your blood test, maybe going to Havens Hospice. That's uh, uh, an interim step before we look to move um, a lot of our blood testing uh, work into the Victoria Centre. Um, so um, to minimise um, uh, the you know the need to come onto the hospital site and minimise the need, obviously there for, for there to be you know the risk of COVID as part of that. Given that it's um, although we're hopefully coming towards the end of the pandemic, it's going to be with us for some time to come. Um, and so we will start. We will continue to do that. We think for the range of this year, in terms of looking to wherever we can see people virtually or see people in community locations, as opposed to having to come onto the main hospital sites. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so lots, lots, and lots of work for us to do. For Southend in particular, um, you may have seen that we've got quite a big estates development um, project going on. So we were very fortunate to bid for and get access to just under 10 million pounds worth of capital funding. And as part of that, we are doing a big development which is going to be outside the front of the hospital. Um, and that's going to create new assessment wards and uh, allow for an expansion of the emergency department at South End. Um, so um, that will both help with both COVID security, but also it will help in terms of dealing with the increasing demand that we've been seeing you know, year, year on year. Um, so uh, a better environment for patients coming in an emergency. Um, and then in turn, as a result of that, being able to preserve more of our non-emergency work, um, which is affected and ha has always been affected as a result of things like winter pressures when we haven't had enough beds. So that's good. Um, that work should be finished in the next couple of months and we will be opening up those facilities uh, for patients then. Um, so yeah, so lots and lots of things going on really, I think is probably the best thing to say. Um, uh, Jackie, um, you've asked a question about PPE. So, um, all staff have access to PPE. We have taken some steps um, in this second wave to upgrade the, the PPE that's available to our staff um, above the Public Health England guidance. And so all our ward staff are now wearing um, FFP3 masks, so the most secure uh, and safe um, uh, masks that we can offer. Um, and we are doing regular audits of making sure that staff are following all of the um, infection control guidance. So wearing appropriate PPE, making sure that they're taking, you know, they're they're taking appropriate steps in terms of um, not wearing their uniforms um, when they leave the hospital, and um, uh, uh, minimising any any risk of in hospital transmission, but also um, transmission when they are leaving hospital going home. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we are doing our best with that. Um, the problem that we have, and as you've seen, is is this, this virus is very contagious and it's very easy to, to transmit it. And so although we can take all of the actions that we can, there's always going to be a risk and we can never fully eliminate the risk of, of transmission. Um, either within the hospital or actually within any location, regardless of whether you're dealing with the NHS or not. But we know the more we can keep things separate, the better. Uh, and so that's what we are doing. Um, the other, th the last thing just to say is we've also taken some steps to um, make sure that we are 
um, appropriately staffed for the future. Um, we've struggled at all of our sites in terms of making sure that we get the right quantity and calibre of staff. Um, and so I'm really pleased that we've managed to um, appoint over 145 international nurses alongside our UK intake um, to help staff our services, um, who will all be starting this year uh, and will make a real big difference in terms of us being able to recover services effectively. So um, we are turning our minds to that as well. Um, I think uh, that's all I want to, oh, Jackie, so in terms of your question around urgent x-rays, um, um, you can, I, I, would, I would advise you could, you can come, depending on the type of x-ray it is, it might be that you could choose to go to Canvey, if you would prefer to go to Canvey, we've got an x-ray um, there, um, if you call up the um, service, they might be able to get you there, if you feel more comfortable doing that. Obviously, my advice would be, if you are coming, just make sure that you're wearing a mask, um, make sure you take all of the kind of the standard precautions, um, but um, we are running the service separately, and so you won't be in, in the environment at the, at the same time as there being a COVID patient or anything like that um, nearby you. We, we do make sure that anybody coming in as an outpatient doesn't, um, doesn't cross um, anybody else. Is that okay, Roger? Um, Colin, do you want to say something? And I'm happy to, I'll try and answer some of the questions in the chat as well as um, Colin talks. Brilliant, thank you for that, Tom. Sally, shall I hand to you, hand over to you? You're, you're muted. Mute. I think Sally might have been handing to you next, Lawrence. So if we can come to you, I can see there's lots of questions being put in the chat. So we'll definitely come to those after Lawrence um, says his part. Thank you. I need to leave and come back. Sally. I have to leave and come back. Okay, thanks, uh, Roger. Uh, yes, and uh, thanks again, Roger, and to Sads for um, inviting us along today. Uh, I'm going to try and share my screen if this ends badly, I'll follow Tom's example. Can, can you all see that? Yes, we can, Lawrence. Right, okay. So I'm like Sally and several of our other governor colleagues here. Uh, I'm a trust governor. Uh, we, we became governors of the new trust on uh, the 1st of April 2020. As Sally said, some of us are legacy governors from uh, the two out of the three previous trusts. So as governors, our, our role is a bit like that Roman god uh, Janus, you know, we face in two directions. We face outwardly from the trust to the membership and the public, and on their behalf, we face into the trust to um, do our best to uh, monitor that the trust is working in the best possible way for our communities. So how does that actually work? 
Well, our role, if I break it up down, uh, our role is, um, first of all, to represent the trust membership. The, the membership of the trust is free. Um, joining details will follow on a later slide. Anyone over the age of 12 is eligible to join and become a trust member. And trust membership provides an opportunity of becoming aware of all the developments that are going on at the trust and by definition, your nearest hospital. Only trust members can stand for the post of trust governors. We've got currently over 35,000 trust members, but that's, over a, that's only about 3% of all the people living in the trust area. 1.2 million people live in the trust area. Our first quarterly trust newsletter will be out at the end of February with a heartwarming front page story of a, a COVID survival patient. And um, the, the newsletter is a, also a great advantage to membership. Um, number two, uh, to understand the health needs of the community. So how do we do that? Well, in normal times, governors would be holding public events, uh, which we sometimes call listening events, which the public are, are encouraged to attend. And um, we host these community events. We experiment with different formats. Um, one task that we can't perform as governors, though, is that we can't, we're not able to follow up individual cases or complaints that any patient has with the with your trust or your hospital, we can just point you in the right direction. Um, thirdly, be a voice of the community within the trust. Um, to help us do that, we, we attend trust board meetings where we can raise any concerns. No, I need to turn it off, it's locked. We, we listen to up-to-date reports from the chief exec, the chief nurse, the chief medical officer, the finance director, and the HR human resources director. In earlier times, we listened to a patient recount their story at a board meeting. Governors are always free to ask questions. And um, we're also required to give approval to any significant financial transaction over a certain amount. Um, the fourth one, inform the community about the trust's plans. Well, how do we do that? Well, tonight, this meeting is a great example of how we do that. Um, we need to look at other approaches as well. You know, how do we best connect with our trust members and the public? For example, those who don't um, use email, how do we reach out to other community groups and other communities? This is um, a, a, a constantly evolving issue for trust governors. Um, and the last part of that slide, to hold the non-exec directors to account or the NEDs to account for the performance of the board of directors. Um, our NEDs too uh, have been in place since the 1st of April. Uh, three of them have come from our legacy trusts. 
and that's Southend and Basildon. Chelmsford um, never actually had uh, a council of governors there because they weren't a foundation trust. So that's good. There's a useful trust memory amongst our non-exec directors. There are eight non-exec directors in total. They're all very capable with a huge wealth of experience. Um, they're, the NEDs, the non-execs are critical friends to the trust exec. And as governors, we have to feel assured that the level of challenge by the non-exec directors is strong. We um, gain an idea of that by watching them at trust board meetings. And we will shortly have our first trust governors and NEDs meetings. So we'll be able to talk to them a bit more closely and directly. The non-exec directors also chair various subcommittees uh, like audit or quality assurance. And, and uh, three governors are invited to observe those committees as well. Rapidly move on to the next slide. So the, the composition of the Council of Governors, um, as you can see, there's, um, there's 35 public elected governors. That's over the, the, the whole of the hospital trust. We also have governors from um, the uh, Thurrock, Basildon, and um, Brentwood, uh, the Community Voluntary Services, Anglia Ruskin University, and South Essex College. We also have governors appointed from the local authority, so um, Thurrock, Southend, and Essex. And then we have staff governors as well. So in this way, we, we're able to link in to um, our local councils and um, academia. And um, that way, you, you, you know, we work in a much more integrated manner. Um, the Council of Governors is made up uh, of um, the public governors come from those points that you can see, those areas that you can see on the slides. So um, five from Basildon and five from Southend. Uh, we had the Council of Governors uh, elections were held at the end of, uh, well, in September of last year. They were very hotly contested. We had, um, 18 uh, applicants in Basildon for five places and 15 applicants in South End for the five places. So it was gratifying to see such a, a, a good response there. Um, but new public governors are appointed for a three year term. Um, unfortunately, Sally and I, I think we're only standing for another two years because we, we were already governors of uh, the, the, uh, the legacy trust at South End. So, um, but we're fortunate that, we, you know, we can hopefully 
bring some experience to bear there. Um, because this is to do with trust membership. Um, we, we became the largest trust, uh, one of the largest trusts in the country on the 1st of April. And um, we're, tr we're trying very, very hard to build our trust base at the moment. Um, we try to build our trust membership base in several ways. Um, community events, as I've mentioned before, well, these are all Zoom based at the moment. The trust members newsletter, uh, the first edition is out shortly. It will be 90 odd percent electronic, but we hope to get a small number printed out uh, for hard copies because obviously not everybody has emails. So we then need to find a way of how to circulate uh, any letters that we do to, in, in the most effective way possible. Um, we need to link in more with voluntary groups and hopefully some of uh, those will be here this evening. And we need to look at exploring other media as well. Um, for example, hospital radio, uh, I think Pete Sipple's here tonight, and I, I seem to remember he's heavily involved in that at South End. And um, even a, 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 we could even consider a monthly press release in, in um, one of the local papers, to, which would incorporate a little bit of trust news. Um, so why become a member? Well, as I said, if you're 12 years or, old, or over, it, that's, that's an amazing thing to be able to do if you're uh, in your teens. And it's probably something that's going to look quite good on your CV as well. It, the, the trust membership is totally free. Um, it's a great way of keeping up to date with, the, with the, what's going on, it, not in just in the trust, but in your local hospital, um, you'll see all the latest, latest hospital developments. There's great articles on innovations in care, uh, what staff have won awards. Um, the NHS, as you probably know, is the largest employer in the whole world. And um, our hospital trust now has over 15,000 staff across the three hospital sites. Um, I think one more slide. Yeah, and, and finally, there are benefits, small benefits, that, that some benefits to members for becoming a trust member. Um, I wouldn't get too um, excited about Virgin Holidays at the moment. Uh, emailing, um, there's a link there. If you want to become a trust member, that is the email address to use. Uh, you don't have to worry about it now. I think I've sent it to Roger. So if you are interested in being a trust member uh, at all, um, have a think about it. And for further information, contact him and he'll happily give you that email address. And 
I think that's it now. I'm going to try to come back to Earth with the stop my screen sharing now. Thank you. Right. Brilliant. Thank you, Lawrence. Sally, did you want to add anything before we move on to the questions? Um, thanks, everyone. Sorry, I've just had a problem with my iPad and it completely locked up and wouldn't unmute earlier. So I've now switched to my iPhone, which is completely inappropriate for a meeting of this size. So apologies. I've no idea what went on there. Um, so I, I'm managing to keep up with the chat here. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, it's quite funny that our last, last slide sort of mentions benefits, but actually it's not those sorts of benefits, I don't think, from my own personal uh, point of view, come into it. It's more about giving something back to the community if you want to be part of what's going on at the hospital you want to have your say we've got lots of ways in which um, you can have your say but actually being a member um, of the trust um, is a, one way of doing it and getting some of that direct access I think um, and if like me you know until five years ago I had no idea there was such a thing um, as membership to the trust and I think that's where we've let ourselves down in the past that there hasn't been enough publicity about it um, and that's why we need to try to do that more around that um, at the moment um, but no I'd just like to thank Tom and, and Lawrence for the presentation and um, there are a number of um, members as I said on this call some some are new and so they're they're listening in too but if we'd be happy to take any questions that people might have I've noticed Tom has answered a few already on the chat, but. Yeah, thank you, Sally. We, we've never had so someone so professional as Tom. Normally we end up with a load of questions at the end, but Tom's worked his way through them all. <laughs> so thank you. I do get used to these, this new technology. It's, um, it's fun, but uh, it does mean that you get lots of, lots of in-person questions as well as lots of typed questions. So it's, it's, you're typing, typing and talking at the same time sometimes. No, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, what I'll do is I'll just work through the chat because there's some comments in there as well, which I think we should share. Um, and then if anyone has any additional questions, we can get to those at the end. And what I'll do is after this call, I'll make sure that everyone receives a copy of the questions and answers that Tom's been going through so you can have a read through in case you missed those um, during the presentations. Um, the first comment that we have is from Sheila. Sheila says, I've had a referral to ENT and was amazed at how quickly my appointment came through. A matter of days, unlike in the past, a matter of weeks. Thank you. It's a nice positive message. Thank you, Sheila. Um, I've had a question from Suhail, which is, what is the current position with critical beds? the hospital so currently um so we've got around about um uh we've got about 40 people in critical care and about another 40 people who are on what we would call non-invasive ventilation so kind of an elevated level of care where they're on a uh, um kind of an oxygen mask or something similar to like that um so around about 80 patients at this moment in time who are having some sort of enhanced care at this moment in time so it's still elevated but it has come down from that peak of around about 200 that we saw um during january um we believe that it will continue on that trajectory over the next couple of weeks and we'll be back kind of by the end of february we'll be back to somewhere which resembles something a bit more like what we were normally used to pre-covid 
Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. We've got a comment from Elaine in the chat, which says, myself and everyone I know think all you guys are doing an amazing job, Tom. That's very kind. Well, the, the team's been amazing. Um, and actually, and the other thing is the community support that everybody was received within the hospitals has been phenomenal. So thank you. Um, I know everybody has really appreciated that. And, um, uh, and, and, and we've really kind of got a lot out of the community support uh, that we've seen, particularly in Southend. Brilliant. Thanks for that comment, Elaine. I'm not sure if you have answered this question, Tom, um, or actually maybe Lawrence and Sally could answer. It's from Chris. Do you anticipate having a link to the CCG patient and community groups? I'm not sure if we already have a link. Um, I am talking with Diane Sarker um, and Eric Watts, who is a governor, who is chairing our service experience group of governors. And we're looking at all the places where we can make links to and connect with. Um, and so we're just mapping that out. We may already have a link. We may have amongst our 48 governors. We may have somebody who is closely linked to that. I have to say, I can't put my hand on heart and say we do, um, but we will um, pick that one up and make sure that we are linking in at some point. And uh, also, if I can um, just add to that, Roger, that um, there may be opportunities where uh, we don't know that we need to have a link, but you possibly may be in a position in the future to act as the go-between so that we can successfully um, you know, initiate a link um, wherever it's required, because this, this is the problem. We, we, we don't um, know a lot of, uh, in a lot of cases where these links would be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's definitely going to be key, isn't it? And Chris, I'd be happy to have a chat with you outside of the call about how we can maybe link that all together. Brilliant. Um, there's a question here about membership from Sheila. She says, I was a member of the South End Trust as a patient. Do I have to reapply? Um, you don't, don't actually have to reapply. Um, if you were a member of the trust, you would have been written to or emailed, actually written to before the trust merged, asking whether you still wish to remain as a member of the trust. Um, you only had to do something if you didn't want to be, you know, transfer into the membership of the new trust. So as long as you had that, then you are still a member and you don't need to reapply. Um, the telling bit would be if you were sent voting papers about the elections um, in the summer last year. If you didn't receive them, then I'm thinking that you possibly, as part of the fine tuning of merging all data together, may slip through the net somewhere. Um, in which case, um, we, we can just um, ask you to complete the form again um, and they will double check that. But if, if you want to send me the, the, the name, I can get um, our membership secretary, Eve Lammy, to double check if that's helpful. Yeah, thanks, Sally. Sheila, if you approve, I'll pass your name on to Sally. Can't see where you are. You can just let me know in the chat if that's okay. Thank you. The next question is from Suhail around the vaccination. So do we have data available as to whether vaccines are being wasted due to people not coming for their appointment? 
I can answer that one, Roger. Um, so what we we haven't wasted any vaccine um, in any of our centres. Um, the reason what we try and do is we make sure that we have a reserve list, normally of health and care workers who would work either in or nearby the hospital, of people that we can call up at short notice to be able to take up the offer for um, if somebody can't make their appointment or, or anything like that. So, yeah, we've been very strict in making sure that we don't waste a single drop of vaccine uh, throughout the programme. Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. We've got a nice comment from Pete. Hi, Tom. A vote of thanks to the volunteer team at the Trust. As a group of volunteers, we've been kept up to date on the situation from a volunteering perspective. That's great. Thank you, Pete. I'll pass it on to the team because I know they've worked really hard to try and make sure that all of our volunteers have um, been kept informed of what's going on. And, and indeed, our volunteers have been really, really great and um, helpful uh, with all sorts of things um, that they've supported over the course of the past year. Um, not least, obviously, the number of them are helping out with our vaccination program at the moment. Thank you, Pete. Nigel, I can see that Tom's responded to you about Southend Talking Newspaper. We've got um, a comment from Veronica about Joanne's comment in terms of engaging with the community in Southend. Um, she says, I couldn't agree more, Joanne. At Carers First, we would be very keen to build on our existing links to improve patient care experience. And I'm sure Southend Carers Hub would share that aspiration. So Lawrence, did you want to come in on that? Yes, yeah, sure. Um... I, I think this is something that uh, is definitely um, um, an area that uh, governors would uh, seek to try to do. And um, if, if you could possibly um, link, link to us via Roger, if, if you could um, possibly use Roger's good offices to give us your details on this. Um, we will do our best to carry this forward, um, bearing in mind that, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future, we're very much handicapped with the way that we can do this. Um, hopefully, uh, by the late summer, towards the end of the year, um, other, other means will present themselves. But at the moment, we're, we're looking at um, doing this virtually and um, of course whilst that links into a, a lot of a group as a whole it doesn't link into the, those people in the group who aren't able to connect uh, with us through Zoom. Brilliant, thank you Lawrence. The next question is from Jackie around the vaccination programme. Are we very behind other boroughs, particularly London boroughs, who are currently vaccinating 60-year-olds? I know several people who have now had their vaccine, same age as me, 62 and younger. Um, not, not particularly. I think um, different areas have taken slightly different approaches in terms of how they've um, adopted the vaccination program. So we 
um, in the east of England, so this is not just um, us in Mid and South Essex, but across the east of England, um, we've taken an approach to try and be fairly strict to make sure that we do everybody that we possibly can in the one to the one to four cohorts that, that the government has outlined as um, being the most vulnerable uh, for COVID and therefore um, to get them vaccinated. So across, I haven't got a, the South End number to hand, but across those cohorts this moment in time, we're now up to around about um, 85 to 90% of all of those people who are in cohorts one to four. So that's everybody um, uh, 80 plus, it's all healthcare workers, it's people judged as being uh, clinically vulnerable and it's also the over 75s. What will happen, um, I think starting next week is the latest intelligence I've got, it's a bit dy more dynamic, is we will then be extending the offer out to uh, cohorts five and six and so that's everybody over 65 uh, and anybody with underlying health conditions that means it put them at uh, an elevated risk of um, disease and then we'll kind of move our way down. What other areas have done is they've taken a slightly broader brush approach and so they might have slightly lower coverage of the uh, one to four groups but they have vaccinated more people in other cohorts. Um, so it was a it was a decision that was made across the east of England at that moment of time to try and protect those who are most vulnerable. We will get to everybody. We are delivering as many vaccines as any other uh, area in, in the country here in Mid and South. Um, it's just there's been a slightly different approach in terms of um, the targeting of who gets uh, a vaccine in what order. Um, I, I think um, from March, um, uh, I think we'll see, be seeing a significant increase in the availability of vaccine and therefore a significant increase in the amount of vaccine we're able to give. And I think at that point in time, um, we will be offering it out much more broadly because we'll have the volume that we're able to, um, uh, to, to offer to our local communities. Um, so I think it's going to be a few more weeks before we're at that point. But I think by, by the time we get into March, I think there's going to be a fairly extensive offer. Um, uh, people may have heard the Prime Minister talking about this. I think it was yesterday evening in terms of looking to get everybody um, uh, offered by the end of April. So that's everybody 50 and over. Um, uh, so um, we're not 100% sure quite how we're going to do that yet, but we will figure out a way of doing it and making sure that everybody who wants a vaccine can get one. Thank you, Simon, for your question, Jackie. The next question is from Shahid. Are there any emotional and mental well-being cases within NHS staff due to COVID? If yes, how many and what level of help and support is available to them? Sorry, could you repeat the question, Roger? I was just reading Joanne's comments in the chat. Yeah, of course, no problem. This question's from Shahid. Are yeah. there any emotional and mental well-being cases within NHS staff due to COVID? If yes, how many and what level of help and support was available to them? I don't have, so yes is the short answer to that. I don't have an exact number. I can probably get that for you. We've got we've got about 400 people off with COVID and COVID-related sickness, but that's that would be both mental health as well as physical self-isolation and things like that <clears throat> at this moment in time. Um, so um, the support that we offer is we have a kind of a gradiated level of support for staff. And so that ranges from we have a number of group sessions that are run um, 
uh, regularly and they occur something called a Schwartz round. And so that's a facilitated conversation where people can come together and talk around, talk about a common issue and for people to explore how that's affected them. And so we've had a number of those around COVID where people just able to come and, and talk because there is something in the being able to share a problem and understand other people are going through it kind of uh, helps them. And that kind of goes up in stages through to, we've been working with um, Essex Partnership Trust, which is the mental health provider in Mid and South Essex. Uh, and they are providing us with um, dedicated kind of psychological uh, support. And so we have access to psychiatrists and psychologists um, uh, who are able to provide more intensive one-to-one one -one support for those staff who've been more materially affected. And so, uh, and our occupational health service um, helps kind of uh, triage and make sure that people get the, get the support they need. Um, I'm sure there's more that we could be doing and there's always more that we probably could be doing on this, but um, we are, we're learning as we go along a little bit in terms of what is exactly the right thing for everybody because what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. Thank you, Tom and Shahid for your question. Chris, I can see that Amanda's put a comment in the chat for you there about the um, link to the patient and community reference groups. I'll just direct you there. I won't read it out. The next question is from Peter from Shoebury Residents Association. We've asked before at other meetings, but have you any news on the Shoebury Salvation Army Hall, which is the only one in the East for vaccines and our disabled members are finding it tough to go to the cliffs? So it should be mobilised, Peter. Um, I don't have an exact date for you for it, but um, what if if you're happy for Roger to share your details with me, I can go and ask um, NHS England, which is kind of like approves the opening of sites, to get you a clearer date on when um, the uh, the Salvation Army Hall might be opening. I'll be able to put you in contact, Peter, following on from the meeting. Thanks, Roger. We've got a comment from Leanne. I've been so impressed with my continued care for ongoing health conditions throughout the pandemic at Southend Hospital. Very grateful for such a high standard of care and support, despite the tremendous pressures they're clearly facing. Thank you, Leanne. And then I've got one more question in the chat um, from Lindsay. I can see we are approaching the end of the session, so it's all working out quite well. If there are any questions following on from the meeting, please feel free to email me. Um, Lindsay asks, I have anaphylaxis to many things. How can I be vaccinated or indeed have the choice regarding which vaccine I have? So you are able to have a choice um, so of the available vaccines and so you'll have the ability to have an AstraZeneca, the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine, which are the two which there is a supply of in the UK and obviously that will expand over time as um, we get um, more deliveries of the other vaccines. If you've got severe anaphylaxis or allergies, my best advice would be to speak to your GP. Uh, to get their advice on what's probably a what's the best vaccine for you um the because the the other thing we can do for people which have very have had very severe anaphylaxis in the past we can make arrangements for you to be vaccinated in the hospital and that will be a supervised vaccination so if you do have anaphylaxis we'll have fully trained people and all the necessary kit and equipment to make sure that we manage that effectively and um you're safe 
um, in the case of um, uh, an anaphylaxis or a reaction to any of the vaccines. So I suggest we speak to your GP. Your GP can advise you about the vaccine, but they can also refer, refer you into us for a supervised vaccination if that's something that is appropriate for you. Thank you, Tom. Well, I'd just like to thank everyone for coming along this evening. Oh, hang on. I can see Robert's patiently got his hand up. Robert, can we come to you for the final question? Um, good evening. I think people with uh, learning disabilities and Down syndrome are getting left out for the um, injection. And I think they are very worried uh, at, um, of what's happened. They're all getting very scared of this uh, COVID situation. And I am as well. Um, I went to a meeting this, uh, this afternoon and they were like, asking me different uh, questions about uh, the uh, COVID. Hi, Robert. Um, so there, have you not been offered a vaccine yet? Uh, not as yet. And okay. my mum. My mum works in care. She works at the warehouse in Shoebridge. Okay. So I think a couple of things. So um, Your face you... looks familiar. I used to do a lot of fundraising at the hospital. Oh, we, you probably saw me at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, um, so... Um, uh, the, so if, if Roger can send your details, I can make sure that we sort out, because um, anybody with um, learning disabilities or anybody who works in care like your mum is eligible for vaccine, so I right. can sort that for you. The other, the other thing which would be helpful, if you could put us in touch with any, I don't know if you're involved with any of the learning disability networks. Yeah, I am. Uh, if you could help us out in terms of putting us in touch, I can, I can, the, the CCG and the GP should have sorted this out, but what we can do, which is a good point you make, is we can reach out to those networks to make sure that everybody who should have had the offer has had the offer and we can um, make sure that we get people an offer of a vaccine as soon as we can. And, and also to my, um, one of my local friends uh, got admitted into Southend with very bad COVID. I'm sorry to hear that. Are we taking good care of them? And I'd just like to say to Southend, Basildon and Broomfield, you do all great wonders. Thank you. Thank you. It's really kind. Thank you, Robert. I'm going to hand over to Sally now just to close the meeting, but thank you all for joining us from me. Thanks very much. Um, can I just say thanks very much again to Roger um, and Savs for hosting this meeting and a big thank you to Tom, who I'm sure has put in a very, very long day. Um, thanks for giving up your time to support the governors um, to get the message out about what's going on across the trust. Um, and thank you to everybody that's attended today. I, I think maybe Zoom meetings might be the way of the future because I think we've probably had more people today than we would have had if we'd have advertised this and you've got to go out in the cold and the snow. So thank you to everybody who's attended. Um, if there are still questions that you have, if you send them via Roger um, and you're happy for him to pass your contact details on to us, we will pick those up. Um, and finally, can I just say, um, please do think about becoming a member of uh, the 
the trust, um, please do look at the trust's website um, and it's very easy to join and it's completely and utterly free. Um, and it's a way of keeping you in touch with what's going on um, across the trust, across the South Essex here. Um, and thanks very much to, to Lawrence for um, taking the, the lead on our governor's presentation, much appreciated. So thanks everybody, stay safe, stay well. Um, and thanks very much for coming out today and I hope you found it useful.